He's one of the world's most respected business experts, Jeffrey Hazlett. I want to take you behind the scenes on what's happening in business today. And whether you're on Main Street or Wall Street, we're going to find out the secrets behind their success. This is All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by Fortinet. Today's guest is going to be at the center of action on the first Saturday in May. A man who grew up in thoroughbred breeding and racing to become the top trainer at Churchill Downs and Keeneland Racecourse. In 1998, he derailed the Triple Crown bid of Real Quiet with his champion, Victory Gallop. He's gone on to run one of the most successful breeding farms in the world as president, CEO, and racing manager of Windstar Farms, which will run one of the favorites in Saturday's Kentucky Derby, Carpe Diem. He's Kentucky's own, and he's on all business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Welcome, Elliot Walden. Hey, my first question that I have for you, Elliot, is talk to me about the business of the farm, the business of horse racing as a thoroughbred farm. Because I don't think most people would know that you, you, you have like, you know, inventory, you have assets, you, you have sales, you, you have delivery. Talk to me about the business of, of the business. Well, we, you know, the, the, the thing about the horse business is it's a loosely uh, coined term because some people treat it as a business and some people don't. Uh, but here at Windstar, we definitely treat it as a business. We're very focused on revenues. We're focused on expenses. Um, we generate our revenues from three major sources. One is stallion seasons. Uh, we have stallions and they, they, they get a fee for when they breed mares and and we generate revenues there we generate revenues from purse earnings from our racehorses so for example horses running the kentucky derby generate uh, earnings and and so we get revenues there and then also sales we sell uh yearlings we sell the product that we produce uh and when those mares have foals we have 200 mares we have about 150 foals each year when they're yearlings when they're one year old we take them to the sale we take eighty percent of them to the sale and generate ten or twelve million dollars in revenues that way. You as mentioned well. seasons. Is there a? I mean, it's like almost like quarters of a business. Is there? I know that that mares come into season, so I know about that. But do you treat it in certain seasons? You do you you must you must chart those out. And know when the mares are in season then too, right? Yes, mares. Um, mares are uh, you know it's an exact science to get mares in foal and and when you uh, mares come into the season they they their gestation period is 11 months um, so basically they're in foal hopefully every year um, and the season for foaling starts January 1st and will end sometime in, in the middle of May um, so we're breeding our stallions, if you can think of an 11-month gestation period, we're breeding our stallions starting February 10th so that they don't get a foal before January 1st, 11 months. And then uh, they'll breed into June to get the foals through May. And, and, you, and you want to be want to be exact. I mean, we're talking about some big stud fees here for some of the – for, for some of the horses that you have and you, you don't want you want some of those siring different mares right i mean so you want to keep them separate I, I know i have horses myself nothing like what you've got and i want to make sure that one's not getting into the uh, into the pasture with another horse because i don't want you know a colt from that from that particular horse 
Right. Well, we have, you know, thoroughbreds are, are uh, unlike quarter horses or any other type of equine uh, breed in the fact that they have to consummate the deal one-on-one. There's no artificial breeding. Yep. So we have a stallion division, and we have stallions that, that are housed there, and typically we'll bring our mares in to that barn to breed to the stallions. We have mares come from other farms uh, in Kentucky and, and come in and, and get bred to our stallions as well. The metric we use for uh, the mares is we want at least 80% live foals. And so with that, you have to start with about 90% of them in foal. And it is an exact science as to how we track their, when they're in season, the closer you get them to ovulation, the better chance you have of them being in full, being bred and being in full. Mm-hmm. So you, so you, you know, the vet and the and the broodmare manager work together to try to breed them right upon ovulation, so that when when she ovulates quickly, it's a much better chance for them to get in full. And we're looking for ninety percent. Now, of see, in everybody that's that's listening on this podcast is getting a, quite an education about biology as much as they are about business, which is really good. <laughs> well, how many how many folks do you have there? I mean, you. Got Two hundred horses. That's a, that's you, you more than two hundred. No, we have just two hundred mares. mares. Yeah, we have say. about five hundred horses oh on the farm because you know if you if you think about the life cycle, the two hundred mares produce a hundred and and sixty to seventy foals a year. Mm-hmm. So we have you know once they grow, they go to the yearling division, and now the mares start all over again. So they have foals, and then we have stallions and racehorses. So we house 500 horses here, and we have about 150 employees. That, that's a big operation. How do you compare in terms of size to some of the other operations out there? We're one of the biggest. Yeah. I'd say we're in the top five, if not the biggest, uh, close to the biggest with with a few other farms that kind of do things on the on the scale that we do the one thing that separates us from the other farms though is we do we're able to take horses from cradle to grave Mm -hmm. and what i mean by that is we we can uh you know have the stallion division breed them here we can fold them here we can raise them here we can then break them here and we have a training center which a lot of your farms in kentucky don't have and we can actually train the horses here and get them to the races yeah they'll, they'll, and, somebody and, else and, will bre- might breed them but then send them off to a trainer that's yeah. right they'll breed them and they'll sell them and and then they'll start the cycle all over again we we see it through now we might send it out to a trainer but it'll be after uh they're two years old and and, and they've been broken and they're up to very close to running then we'll go ahead and send them to a to a todd pletcher or, or somebody mm-hmm. like now, that. you you move from a trainer into the ceo president's role what's that been like for you Good. I mean, you know, one thing the training helped me set up with that was my own business. Mm-hmm. And I had 100 to 125 horses in training and 80 employees. So, you know, anytime you, you do something yourself, uh, you, you learn fast and you learn what works and what doesn't work. And so that did help me transition into working for, for uh, Windstar and in and, and, and the role that I have here. Um, the, the difference between training uh, horses and, and what I'm doing today is we're actually the, the whole life cycle that I talked about earlier, I have to focus on all B 
bits of those. Right. Whereas when I was training, it was just training. Yeah. I was just focused on the and training. And then winning, right? Because that's it. And yeah. winning. <laughs> and winning. You, and what's it like, I mean, to win, you know, at the Kentucky Derby or win one of the big races? I mean, I think about the 98 victory, probably the one I think the most of back in the Belmont Stakes where you had Victory Gallup upset the Triple Crown bid for Real Quiet. I mean, that and Real Quiet was the first time in like 20 years someone had a chance to win the Triple Crown and your horse won. What, what was that like? You know, Jeff, in that, in that situation, it was a relief. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had gotten beat a, a neck in the Derby and that was very uh, frustrating. And, and yet, uh, you know, to think you were that close to the Kentucky Derby and you, you, you know, you, you are raised a Kentuckian and, and all you know from birth is the Kentucky Derby and to get that close, that was tough. And then actually the next year as a trainer, I did it again and got beat the same way again. Yeah. I've got to beat a neck both times, horse named Menifee. Yeah. But with Victory Gallup, uh, you know, then he goes to Pimlico in the Preakness, and, and horse racing in the equine industry is known around the Triple Crown. I mean, that is the final four. Right. That is the Super That's Bowl. It. That is the Masters. And so, you know, uh, we go to Pimlico. We actually are favored over Real Quiet, and, and I think because everybody thought we should have won the Derby, we had a tough trip, and yet we finished second to him again. So now we go to the Belmont. It's like I don't think we can beat him. You know, and and and. I felt like we were going to beat him in Pimlico, and we didn't do it. So when when he won at, at, at Belmont, it was just a relief because this horse really deserved to win. The, the owners were great. It was a, it was just a it was just like a, somebody would feel if they won the Super Bowl or they won the Final Four. It's a great. Well, I remember feeling. that picture. I, I was somebody reminded me of it the other day. You because you, you'd broken your ankle or something playing basketball like the what what the heck were you doing playing basketball the week before the big race? That'd be one. No, I don't. You got to live, <laughs> Jeff. You know, you can't, you can't be putting yourself in a bubble. And that, that was not one of my smartest moves. But we were at Monmouth University down there in New Jersey, and and uh, I had horses at Monmouth Park, and and so some guys from the racetrack got us in, and and uh, one of the guys knew the knew the. I don't know, the guy janitor mm-hmm. at Monmouth. Yep. So he snuck us in the back door. Yeah. We're playing for an hour, hour and a half. Right at the end, you know, the game's 15 to 14. We're going into overtime, went by two. Uh, I, I popped, oh. I, I felt the pop, and it came through the bone. And so now I'm laying there in pain, and, and the guy said, come on, we got to get him out of here. We can't be seen here. This is going to be a bad <laughs> deal. Bad so they just picked me up and hauled me to the emergency room, and, and I was on crutches, and, and it was a, it was a, it did make it even more memorable. Well, it was a that. great pick for those who are listening and haven't seen it. You, you have to Google it because he's holding up his crutches in a big V for victory, right? Right there is victory gallop won the race so I thought that was awesome double entendre so to speak what what have you learned from the training business that you apply you know to to managing employees so you're training horses because I I find a lot of similarities you know I have a couple I just have quarter horses out in my place in South Dakota but I find a lot of similarities with horses and people and the way in which I deal with them um, oh, you're exactly yeah. you're exactly right. And and horses are like a lot like people. They have personalities. They have individual oh, personalities, yeah. and and they have tendencies. And and you know you don't want to push certain buttons, and and you do want to push others and and motivate them. And it's the same way. And and you know uh, the thing about the, the sometimes the toughest thing about about the horse business and dealing with horses is the people. Yeah. 
You know, it's like any yeah, business. any business. I mean, same you know, way. you've got to you've got to motivate people, and, and you've got to figure out a way to 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 get them excited and passionate about what they're doing. Um, now, the great thing about the horse business, from that standpoint, is most people are not in it for the money. Mm-hmm. So these employees, they're they're in it because they love horses, because they love working outdoors, because they just are outdoor kind of people and they just want to, they they don't want to sit in an office. So, you know, you've got that part lick where they're passionate about what they're doing. The problem is the grind. It's a serious grind because horses eat, sleep seven days a week. There's no day off that, that, you know, would, would, so you you know you have to formulate days off by giving by, by alternating crews, but it's a grind. Yeah. It's a grind, and 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 you know it's a day in day out thing, and and then you see horses come and go. But you know it, it's it's no different than any other business, and, and to keep them motivated, to keep them excited about what they're doing is is the real key. Back in 2010, you won the Kentucky Derby with Super Saver. I remember that was a as I recall. Actually, I was. Yeah, I was at that race back then. I can't forget about that. Because that was a real rainy day, right? As I recall. Yeah, it was well, very rainy. sloppy. And I'm, I, I, was at, I get to go every once in a while when I can. And I was there. And I remember how sloppy it was. It was so muddy and so sloppy. But you won. But you end up selling that horse, right? No, we haven't. Oh, we I, did syndicate. Oh, I thought you'd sold him off. And I was going to, well, but even that goes with it. What, when do you decide to sell off a horse like that as opposed to keep him for the, for the stud fees? Because I can imagine the stud fees are over a length of time have got to be a great asset. Well, the thing about, the interesting thing about Super Saver is um, we tried to make the wrong move couple different times we had him in a sale in march of his two-year-old year uh, before he had ever run and and just timing you know business is so much about timing yep, jeff as absolutely. you know and and, and uh, you know so we were at the at the lowest point of the market in 2009 he was a two-year-old and we had him in a sale but he was really only going to bring a hundred to one hundred and twenty-five thousand. Now that's a fair amount for what he was, but it, but at the same time, he was showing uh, plenty of potential, and we felt like that we could get that at any point in his career. That that was not the day that that was all he was going to be worth. We felt like that was kind of what he was going to be worth throughout his career. So we didn't feel the need to necessarily sell him for that. So we scratched him from the sale at that point and put him into our training division. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I felt like he was going to bring three or four hundred thousand we probably would have sold him that day but the market was so depressed he wasn't going to bring that we decided to put him in our racing division fortuitously that that happened to be just a a remarkable uh, lucky decision and he wins the derby earns about uh two million dollars in purses um, through the racing career, and now he's standing at stud for thirty-five thousand dollars this year. Um, he's going to generate about three and a half to four million dollars this year alone. So he's having a good. T- so he's case. having a good time. <laughs> he's having a big time. You know, at thirty-five thousand. I mean, how do you decide? You know, like let's say distorted humor. I think is is that is um, yes. He what's he about a hundred grand or something? I, th- I think he's hundred thousand. So, and now what that means is it's a hundred thousand live full stand and nurse. So if it so takes three times again, we go back whatever, to yeah, yeah, exactly. We go back to uh, about getting these mares in full. Mm-hmm. If they don't get in full, we don't get paid. 
So we have a vet in the stallion barn. Is there, and, 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 and a lot of times will reinforce the mares, which means uh, that when they breed and they come off, we'll go ahead and if there's anything left, we'll go ahead and re put it back in just to make sure we get the highest percentage possible. But we have a vet in the stallion barn that's just there to help make sure we get the highest percentage of these mares in full. He's standing for $100,000 and he will generate, uh, he's going to breed 109 mares this year. Mm. So he'll, if you look at uh, kind of what I said, 80% live foal, he'll generate about 82 or three stud fees. So 8.2 million is what he'll generate uh, this year alone. It's good to, it's good to be a winning horse. Yeah. It is. And, you know, the thing about it is the racing career, so when they win the Derby or, or when they win a big race and they go to stud, all that does is it gives them the opportunity to go to stud. The Stallion, uh, the stallion has to make his own way on his record of his progeny. So, you know, just because Super Saver won the Kentucky Derby in 2010 doesn't necessarily guarantee him to be a successful stallion. It starts all over, and it's a second career. But the fact that his first horses started running last year, and they started running really well, and he was the second leading freshman sire, now people are saying, hey, he's a pretty good stud. So his price starts going up on that. Exactly. Exactly. And then you guys sit down and make a decision about that based on those winnings. So you're tracking all that. What, what do you, I mean, you must have, I'd be interesting to look at your org chart someday and just find out what, you know, I would have product managers saying when I was the CMO of Kodak and these product managers would oversee all the way through. You've got to have something that's very similar to that in the horse racing business. We do. We have, uh, we have, you know, guys that are dedicated to following these horses. You know, when you're talking about having 100 horses per crop, um, so each of these stallions will have anywhere from 80 to 100 foals. Now, all of a sudden, they, they scatter all over the country and all over the world, even. People come and buy them, take them to England, take them to Australia mm-hmm. to race. Um, it's a lot to... to go ahead and track those and keep up with who the good runners are. There's a lot of statistical information out there that that tracks uh, horses' progeny earnings. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have... Is uh, there software uh, available? There's got to be software that does this now. Yeah, there's software, and, and actually there's a there's national periodicals mm-hmm. that do that as well for free. Blood Horse uh, is a is a magazine and a and a dot and a and has a website that you can go on, and each day they update earnings across the world for stallions. They track them and they track them, you know, top 100 sires for the year. And so a lot of people use that information, uh, you know. But to get ahead of it, to try to beat the competition, you need to be doing more than that. And, and so we we track our own progeny. We track stallions that we want to breed to off the farm. We don't just breed to stallions that we have. We breed to other stallions as well that look like they're up and coming sure. as well. You, you to mix it up a little bit, too, is not a bad thing to get the bloodlines mixed up in terms of across the farm, right? Yeah, you got it. Kenny, Kenny Trout, the owner of Windstar Farm, says that you know he likes to breed we like to breed 30 percent of them outside so we don't wake up one day and have a bunch of cousins yes, exactly. running around here. <laughs> we won't even go into the other comparisons there that's i can understand that that makes sense you know what i'm, I'm just i'm kind of intrigued you know you're, the way in which you describe it and how you're describing sounds like to me like a corporate board meeting to some extent too so 
Where do you get some other things outside? Where do you get some other education outside of your industry? Do you go and look for something like that? Do you, do you read a, a business periodical or you read a business book or something? Do you go, you know, go to a seminar outside of horse racing at, at any time to say, hey, I need to look out how we do things differently than the way that we've always done them in the horse racing business? Uh, you know, I, I do. I, I like to read when I have the time. I uh, love the Jim Collins oh, books. Oh, sure. Jim's a, good, good Jim, great. Jim's a great guy. Yeah. And uh, uh, just read a book uh, called uh, The Energy Bus. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's a great mm-hmm. book. It talks about attitude and, and talks about how negativity can, can bring your team down and and, 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 and how you need Boy, to Boy, that, that, that could be tough in your business because people really believe in luck and a lot of superstitions from time to time too, right? I mean... <laughs> exactly right. The other thing about our business is it's, no, it's, it's not a lot different than baseball. Mm-hmm. You know, a successful uh, horse and a successful operation is winning 20% of the time. Well, guess what they're doing 80% of the time? Yeah, losing. Exactly. Losing. Exactly. So it's hard to keep morale up. And, and, and you know, those are the successful ones. The the ones that are not successful win in 10%. So, you know, it's, 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 it is hard to keep that uh, focus and, and, and positive energy. And, and uh, you know, so I, I like to read those. We have a retreat, off-site retreat we do with the managers uh, once a year that we try to bring in something like that. Because these guys are going just horse business, horse business, horse business all the time. That's all they're focused yep. on. And so it's my job to kind of bring in a different perspective and, and, and try to get them to, to look at it from 10,000 feet every now and then because they're so busy in the forest. You know, I saw a comment that you had made. Let me see if I here. I've got it right here. It said television exposure is something we need to do a better job of. We missed the TV boom 20 or 30 years ago and lost our position because we didn't emphasize television. So what would be the new thing or what would you do differently now? Well, I think you know one thing that we're trying to do as a as a as a sport is is focus on trying to uh, get the Triple Crown uh, as a, as not only a horse race but also as an entertainment uh, aspect. That there's an entertainment aspect to it. There's a high level of of uh, entertainment and and just mystique around it and 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 you know so if you watch the telecast for the kentucky derby you're going to see the horse race but you know the horse races go off every 30 minutes what's going to be filled inside yeah. that and there's a lot of entertainment aspects to that there's a lot of celebrities well, it's, all, it's a, a whole of, week event too but i mean it's not yeah it's I mean, right. you've got the brown you've got the 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 balls you've got everything that's going on so it's it's quite the uh, quite the event and the other key is to tie the Derby and the Triple Crown with the Breeders' Cup, which is our year-end kind of divisional uh, award uh, where we place champions on, a, a kind of a culmination of, of the different classes of horses, two-year-olds, three-year-olds, four-year-olds, fillies, colts, and, and we run you know, 16 races at the end of, in November, the first weekend in November. And so what happens between the Triple Crown and the Breeders' Cup is a big void. And so we're trying to figure out a way to create a, a seamless uh, synergy between those two entities and, and do that with specific weekends at Saratoga, which is a fantastic, I don't know if anybody, if, if your listeners have not gone to Saratoga, but it is an 
absolutely awesome yeah. place. Have yes, I have. I have. I was up in Rochester, so we I was able to get yeah. around a little bit from time to time. Yeah, it's great. Great. What, so if you were like the new racing czar, you know, today, what would be your first three moves to improve the sport? So if you try to connect these from a social perspective and do something with the Breeders' Cup to kind of tie it into a longer season that keeps people's attention, what do you think you'd do? Well, I would create a, a, a series of races that would try to tie the time in and keep the fans engaged. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, it's been talked about. The, the races are there, but I think getting, getting them on TV and, and getting kind of a, a, a schedule where uh, they can follow them would be would be paramount. Um, the Kentucky Derby a few years ago went to a point system uh, for entry into the Derby. Before that, they had a graded stakes earnings, and it was very hard to follow. They went to this point system, and all the traditionalists and the people that you know had been around horses that for a hundred years said, oh, this isn't going to work. This is stupid. Mm-hmm. Well, Churchill made a good move. Yeah. Uh, it's easier for the for the fan to follow. Yeah. Uh, you, you read articles about how how they're getting points in this race and this race and how it'll tie in and will they have enough points to get in the Derby. And, and you know, the whole thing tied together very well. And, and I'd like to do something like that with, with the Derby, with the Triple Crown to the Breeders. You know, it worked that well Fed, FedEx Cup. The FedEx Cup with golf has worked very well that way. Exactly. Yeah. Been, it, well, exactly. as did the old Winston. Remember the old Winston Cup uh, uh, for yeah. um, now it's Smart uh, or Sprint uh, for uh, NASCAR. NASCAR, yeah. right? And we have those races, mm-hmm. Jeff. It's just putting the umbrella over. Well, it, it's just putting the 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 marketing and the entertainment aspect to it, and, and letting people see it on TV. Uh, you know, during a time when when there's not a lot going yeah. on. I mean, if you're not a baseball fan, you know, before football starts, it's a great time to really try to capture some. Well, and quite frankly, a good time to get outside. You know, go to the track. Exactly. If you don't want to, if you want to go to the track or watch it, watch it on television. I think the new television's obviously on the digital side, which my laptop or my iPhone or my right. uh, my iPad. But but those are the things. Let me. I want to fire away. First of all, well, I got to take a break. I'm, uh, and my America runs on coffee. All right, and so does you know Duncan. Duncan helps me with that, by the way. And and yep. so I run on Duncan. Are you a coffee drinker? You you had to be a coffee. Yeah, drinker. I like coffee. I like coffee. I like Dunkin' Donuts coffee did you use to put a little kentucky bourbon with it every once in a while i don't uh, drink that's right i did read that I don't okay drink. well very fair enough fair enough but but there's plenty of people that do <laughs> especially <laughs> at some of the races i've seen that as well that's uh, exactly the, right. how do you take your coffee by the way yeah, I'm a black. I like to take it black. Same thing. Same thing. Well, listen, I'm going to fire. It's funny when I go to New York, they can't understand black. It's black. No, because everybody's got, oh, you know, this, this other company, you know, they started, you know, I call them five bucks. You know, they got they got all this <laughs> crap they put in it. You know, you got to have it, a frappo this or frippo this. And I don't, I, don't right. I like I like espressos myself. I like to I have like four of them in the morning and four of them in the afternoon. So. Yeah, that'll keep exactly. you going. Well, I got some uh, some fire rapid fire questions for you, Elliot. It, let me let me just ask you: After horse racing, your favorite sport is what? Football. Oh, you do. Who do you follow? The Bengals. Oh, do you really? Well, that makes sense. You're down in Lexington. You're right up the road. Uh, so that's yep. true. That makes sense. Uh, about college sports, did you follow college? 
UK basketball. Of course you do. You have to. It's a religion down there as well. It is. How about your, who, what's it your is. favorite racehorse ever? Secretary. Yeah, that's, uh, how about the best? It's a big, powerful uh, Unbelievable. How about the best jockey you ever saw? Pat Day. Okay, and why? Patient. Uh, you know, he was uh, a guy who, if you look on the Breeders' Cup uh, record books, he's he's at the top, uh, and it's because he was very patient. Um, most of the time in the big, in the big, moment when the when the stakes are the highest jockeys have a tendency to get ramped up and get get moving too quick and he just he was continue to ride the same way he did on monday through saturday and uh, just relax get the horse in a rhythm and then come get him late all right here's a here's a, a phrase i have to have you choose between two phrases may the force be with you or may the horse be with you may the horse be yeah with and you know where that's from Harvey exactly. Pack. He's a sign-off for the New York Racing TV broadcaster, Mr. Harvey Pack. So, Pack, uh, yeah. Pack at the track. So, my, produ- my producer made sure I asked that, and I'll come back to my producer in a minute. How about this one? Turf or dirt? This is a good one. Dirt. dirt. You, you don't like that European stuff? No, we're American, man. <laughs> dirt. We like dirt. That's right. That's I like right. that. How about Keeneland or Saratoga? Oh, man. <laughs> That's a tough uh-huh. one. I'd say Saratoga. I have to. Uh, I just, you know, although it's a, de- it's almost a dead. Wow, that's something. You're from Lexington, and you said that. That's that's pretty interesting. So for those that don't know, that's the ra- uh, race course down in Lexington is what I'm talking about there. So how about how about this one, Big Mac or Hot Brown? Hot oh, Brown. Oh, you bet, man. Hot Brown's a local Louisville specialty, kind of a turkey sandwich with mashed potatoes and gravy. It's awesome. Um, okay, here's one. Wagner's Pharmacy or Dwayne Reed? Wagner's yeah, Pharmacy. And most people don't know. Wagner's is... Fourth and Central. Yep, it's right across from... It's a great breakfast spot across from Churchill Down Barnes. Hey, what's the weirdest race you ever saw? Oof. Let me see here. Uh, there's a great... Uh, if you Google... Go, go to YouTube. You can Google. There's a, there was a race at Monmouth Park... And I can't remember the names of it, but uh, they, they were there were three horses in the race, and they were uh, my wife doesn't know, uh, my my mother told me so, <laughs> and, and and to hear this announcer uh, go through this was, and, and they finished in a, in almost a dead heat, and and uh, I think right at the wire. Um, he goes, my wife knows everything, I think was one of the names of the horses. But if you Google my wife knows everything horse race, you'll, you'll play it. And it is the funniest thing to hear these three horses' names and have this announcer. And, and, and he says, my wife knows everything. Of course she does, right, because she hits the wire. <laughs> that's funny. We'll have to listen to that. That's, that's, I'm going to listen to that or watch it on YouTube. Hey, what's the best deal you ever saw in buying or selling a thoroughbred? Um... We, uh, uh, you know, I bought a horse back when I was early in training for $9,000 named Never Wavering. And he was my first big horse, so that's probably what comes to mind. But he won seven or $800,000. Um, uh, but you had, to invest, you had to invest in him, though. I mean, how much you had to put into the horse? 
when yeah. you think about your time and money and yeah. training. And yeah, he, typically it'll take, uh, you know, back then it was a little bit different. It was about $20,000 mm-hmm. a year. Now um, it's about $40,000 a year to train a horse. So still you not, can, you can expect you can expect $40,000 a year. And then, and then jockeys and trainers get... 20%, 10% each uh, commission on, on the win. So mm-hmm. uh, if you took 700000 you deduct 140 you know, you'd get 560 plus 100000 in training. So it was, a, it was a pretty good return. Now, when, you, when you say that 10%, that's not just on the come. You're also getting paid too, right? So, there, I mean, they're, they're You're getting a getting flat paid. rate yeah. that would be like a hotel room, and it's basically mm-hmm. all, you don't make any money on it. Because yeah. it's so expensive to have the intensive labor that you have, you know, you, you basically, when you're training horses, Jeff, you average three quarters of an employee per horse. Mm-hmm. So that gets it, you know, you think about if employees are making 30000 40000 you know, that's, that three quarters of an employee is dedicated to each horse. That's, that, you know, you, there's a lot of fixed costs there. Absolutely. So let me, when, when people consider buying a racehorse, would be considered more of an investment or a gamble? It would be considered a, a gamble. Um, yeah. You know, unless it's you not know, a great really investment. Know. There's a lot yeah. to it. Uh, but, but, you know, it's, it's something that I think the problem with investing in horses is people, people want to invest in horses because they they're doing it out of a love for the horse and a hobby and so they check their business principles at their job and they don't apply the same principles they do that made them successful in whatever industry they're in that's kind of scary yeah and they don't want to they want to enjoy the horses they want to enjoy the races they don't want it to necessarily be a business they want to but if you but if you know that's your condition of satisfaction that's okay that's right yeah, that's, that's right. okay. But it gives the horse business a bad rap because the guys who are doing it, you know, as a business can make a pretty good living at it. Yeah. Well, if you're looking at $8 million for a horse, you know, in terms of stud or stand fees, that's pretty doggone good. Another one, you, you know, that's not bad. You're talking about some big money. You're running a big operation. But, of course, you got a lot of overhead. I well, can imagine we, what we, the land cost and everything else. Oh, yeah. Else. We have 2,500 acres. Um, that's a lot. We generate about $25 million in income and revenues. And, and you know, we're, this year we're budgeted $24 million in expenses. So it's a pretty mm-hmm. skinny it's a pretty skinny deal. But if we win the Kentucky Derby on Saturday, that'll all change. Then it'll all change. Game game on, babe. Game on. What what, what about um, – what did you think about the, the, the DAP part, DAP, guys? Was it last year or two, year, two years ago now, isn't it? Uh, the, the dumbass partners, the guys that almost took it all the way to the top. Well, look, uh, the great thing about a horse business is you can't buy it. You can't, mm-hmm. you know, Sheikh Mohammed has all the money in the world. He owns a country in, in Dubai and, and uh, all the oil he can, he can produce. And he's tried to buy this game for 20 years. And, and you just can't do it. And, and you have guys who, you know, you might be, you know, California Chrome probably should have come to mind as the great, one of the best investments. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because <laughs> those guys, I mean. They, they paid, two, I think, $2,000 for yeah, the horse, wasn't it? 2000 yeah. for the mayor and 5000 for the stud fee. And he's, yeah. he's worth $10 million. So, uh, you know, but that's the great thing about this business. You can't buy it and, and, and it, and a great horse can come from anywhere. 
you know, I loved watching those guys because they just were having fun. Yeah. You know, and they were they were doing it. They were playing the odds. They were doing on the back of an envelope when they went and bought that horse. I remember reading the story and watching those guys and just thinking, what a what a story, what a fun thing to see. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and of course, I, I always hope for guys like yourself and others who put the real money in it. But every once in a while, it's good to see one of these come along. Fantastic. Yeah, Fantastic. it's great, great for the sport, quite it's frankly. Great for I the think. sport. If, if, yeah. if we felt like Sheikh Mohammed could, would have all the good horse, could buy them all, what would be the point of Kenny Trout wanting to go against him? Yeah, exactly. So exactly. It's, it's it's great that we have horses come from everywhere. And you look at how they line up on on Saturday in the Kentucky Derby, uh, the 20 horses that are going to line up. They come from everywhere. They come from different backgrounds. The owners, the, the trainers, the, the horses are bred. Some are bred well, some are bred no, some are cheap, some are expensive. It's it's a it's a great uh, blend of, of what the horse business represents. So tell me about your horse on Saturday, Carpe Diem. Think he's well, Carpe Diem would be a he'd be one of the Harvard he'd be one of the Harvard graduates. Um, he's by a, a horse named Giants Causeway. He's one of the best stallions in the business, and he cost one point six million as a two year old. Um, we bought him in partnership with Stone Street Stables, who is owned by Barbara Banky, who owns Kendall Jackson Winery. Oh yeah, and uh, uh, she's a very nice lady, and and they do, uh, they do a lot of business in the horse business, and she loves it. And and we came to the sale, and because he was going to be real expensive, we decided to, instead of going against each other, we decided to partner on him. And uh, so he's going to be third favorite on Saturday. He's won four out of five races, um, and he is going to be a tremendous stallion prospect for us. Uh, He's been a good return on investment. Um, you know, we paid $1.6 million for him. He's earned $1.5 in, in about a year's worth of racing. In those five races, he's earned a million five. So we've so almost... You're, you're, yeah, almost broke even. Almost got our money back, but he's yeah. worth anywhere from 8 to $12 million as a stallion. And if he wins on Saturday, he'd probably be worth 15 to 20 which is fabulous. Well, good luck. I'll tell you that. Let me give you a kind of a shameless plug. If I could give you any shameless plug that you like for coming on the show, what would it be? Just be my relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, I, I think back to what I said earlier about how tough it is in this business to, to lose 80% of the time. And that was really difficult for me uh, as a young trainer. You asked how we get started and, and how you go about getting to where I am today. Um, a lot of it's hard work, uh, but a lot of it is, is, is being able to handle the losses. And I was really struggling with that early on. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and and I found uh, Pat Day, in fact, is a was as I mentioned earlier is, is probably yep. respected uh, jockey, Hall of Fame jockey, and and he one day he spoke about his relationship with Christ and how it helped him navigate through the perils of life, and and I bought into that in 1994 and and uh, gave my life to Christ, and you know whether we win on Saturday or lose, um, it's going to be a great day, and. You know, I, I'm so grateful that for what I have in my life, and and I owe it all to Jesus. 
Well, I appreciate it very much, and I wish you the very best. i got to read this quote about you because I, it ties in what you just said. If somebody once said about you when you were a trainer, said, Elliot Walden's a no-frills man of God, doesn't wear aviator sunglasses, a thousand-hour cowboy hats, lizard boots, leather chaps, or earrings. He doesn't have a tan or a Mercedes or an ego that you can notice. And I think that's a great way to sum up our talk here today. And I appreciate it, Elliot, so much. I wish you the very best of luck. Great to see, what you, great to see a great guy win. And you're winning. There's no doubt about it. And I thank you for coming on the show. Well, thank you, Jeff. You guys have a great day, and, and we'll speak soon. We'll be cheering for you. See ya. If you ever get down here, come to the farm. In a, in a heartbeat, I'll be there. All Cheers. Right. See you. Bye-bye. You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by Fortinet. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Taking you behind the scenes of what's happening in the business world, Jeffrey Hazlett hosts All Business, brought to you by Fortinet. You know, I like to end every single interview with a little bit of what I learned from the interview, and I learned a lot. I really enjoyed that. And you know, most of you know I have a place back in South Dakota, and I love horses. I've got a couple of my own. Nothing like the horses he's got, but it was sure fun to listen to the business because it is a business. It's horse racing, but it's a business. And here he is running a $25, $26 million operation around a couple hundred horses. And what do we learn? Well, he's down home and down home plays. What he means is he sticks to his knitting. He does the things you got to do, and he understands exactly where his costs are as well as where his revenue lies. And he also knows it's around people, and people are a lot like horses. And I've always found that to be true. I've always found some of them are persnickety, some of them are nice, some of them are mean, some of them are fast, some of them are slow, some of them are smart. And some of them are not so smart, if you know what I mean. And you can learn from each of those, and that's what the business is about. And you can apply those same things, whether it's about horse racing or around business, they're one and the same. So, hey, I hope you tune in to Kentucky Derby and watch Elliot Walden's horse, Carpe Diem, win. And if not win, at least run a good race. And you run a good race because this has been Jeffrey Hazlett on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett right here on Play.it. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.